The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today we spend some time with the executive director of Opal Creek Ancient Forest Center, Katie Ryan. This is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am joined in the studio today by Katie Ryan, who is executive director for Opal Creek Ancient Forest Center. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Good. Great. So your organization is is um, all about place. Well, it's not all about place, but it's about mm-hmm. a place. Mm-hmm. Let's start with, can you just describe Opal, Opal Creek? Sure. Uh, Opal Creek <clears throat> is a place where I hear a lot uh, folks re- reflect that time stands still at Opal Creek. So it's a place with really, really uh, just it feels ancient. It feels old. It's very mature trees. Um, so very tall trees. Uh Dripping with mosses and lichens and, you know, just that quintessential west side old growth forest uh, that once blanketed much of the Cascades. Um, And crystal, crystal clear water. Just, you know, you can see all the way to the bottom. Um, Cold water. I jumped into one of those. Super cold. Yes. Very cold. Even in August, you are just in and out. There's not a lot of lounging. And can can um, place it on the the map for us too. Sure. Yeah, we are about an hour or so east of Salem, up in the mountains there in the foothills of the Cascades. So uh, in the little town of Lyons, you would turn left and head up about another twenty five thirty miles or so and get to us. And so why why does Opal Creek exist? I, I don't mean how did the trees grow there, but but why does it, it exist with its political boundaries? Sure. Opal Creek uh, is a pretty special place in Oregon and has a really interesting story in terms of how it was uh, set aside. Uh, Opal Creek, the little town that we operate out of, is called Jawbone Flats. It's an old mining town uh, that was active from about the 1930s through through the through the uh, 90s in some way, but really about the 1930s through the 60s. Um, and then folks who were living up there, um, who were really connected to the place, who had grown up up there, uh, started the Forest Service was looking at a timber sale in the area, and the folks who were living there, you know, were just not that was not going to happen under their watch. And so, really, grassroots organizations started very, very grassroots. I mean, the definition of grassroots just very small, um, a few people who just weren't going to let it happen. And it grew to this big thing. It got a national, you know, on the national stage. And uh, the timber wars that you hear about that happened up and down the West Coast were happening at Opal Creek uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, the communities that were surrounding that area were mill towns and and uh, that was what they subsisted on. And, and today, honestly, they are still somewhat depressed and somewhat um, their economies have not come back yet. Uh, but uh, in 1996, the Opal Creek Wilderness and Scenic Recreation Area was signed into law by President Clinton uh, after a huge effort from the local, uh, you know, started very local, but at one point the Nature Conservancy was involved and uh, the predecessor to Oregon Wild, I can't remember, Nat- Oregon Natural Resource Council? That Defense Council, familiar. something like that. Same organization, they had a different name then. But yeah, so that's kind of a roundabout way of saying that it was conserved federally. And and so this in some ways is the happy ever after of some of the federal timber wars. Yes, indeed. 
Yeah, indeed. And what's really neat about Opal Creek is they did go for the whole watershed, ridge, ridge top to ridge top. So they got the whole thing. They didn't just get a swath of it, um, which really, you know, from an ecological perspective, allows the watershed to act the way it should and, um, you know, just healthy. Right. And, and, and so how, how unique is that? I mean, was that was that a certain window of, of time in the uh, federal philosophy of preservation or, and sort of the ecological? I mean, or, or is this something that has preserved in the attitude of saving other watersheds? You know, that's interesting. I do think that um, a conservationist is always going to want to go for the whole watershed if you can. I think in this case... The mining uh, company had some mining claims throughout the whole watershed, so they were sort of able to act on behalf of it in terms of what they were representing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of how it happened, like was it a spot in the federal, you know, line of thinking? Really, we have uh, Senator Hatfield to thank for Opal Creek being saved. Um, There's a lot of back and forth that went on kind of at the midnight hour uh, before it was going to be signed. And Opal Creek was part of a, to my understanding, Opal Creek was part of a bigger state's park bill and that, or big part of a bigger bill that other areas were also included in. And that area, that bill got struck or that part of the bill got struck. And um, Senator Hatfield, you know, they really needed his signature on this bill. And he said, I'm not doing it unless you put Opal Creek back in. So Opal Creek got put back in uh, and protected in that in that signing uh, of the bill. So Senator Hatfield is really, you know, the one who, who made it happen politically. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's so nice to hear a success story, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I, we, we can talk some more about the relationship with um, uh, the federal laws and, and, and state conservations. And, but, but I want to talk a little bit more about the philosophy and the purpose mm-hmm. of Opal Creek. So one of the models is, uh, quote, people need to experience the outdoors to care about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much our foundational statement, you know, in terms of what we really believe in. Um, we really truly believe at our core that, yeah, for folks to care about our natural and wild places, they need to experience them. And, um, you know, traditionally, a small population has experienced our natural places and our wild places. And we just really need to increase that. We need to increase the opportunities for folks to engage with what's surrounding them for so many reasons. Um, and so how, how is Opal Creek doing that? So it's, it's, it's a hiking center. There's yep. an outdoor classroom area. Yeah. Yeah. We engage with the public through a variety of ways. There's programs that you can uh, take with us that are either outdoor school programs or we also do backpacking trips for kids in the summer. We run some workshops. You can rent cabins. There's a lot of ways for the public to pay to play, so to speak. Um, you can also just hike up there. We're, we're surrounded by... 35,000 acres of federal, my land, your land, federal land. And so anybody can just go um, take a hike. We welcome you to come into Jawbone Flats, take a look around at our town um, and kind of see, you might see some kids there. You might see some stuff going on. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of ways that you can, that what well, ways that we're trying to engage with the public. And I, I want to just uh, let's let's hover on on Jawbone Flats for just a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. you you did a really nice job of describing the trees and and, uh, and town. I mean, we're we're talking this town. is this is not this is not a a, a Portland sized ghost town. It's not even a Eugene sized ghost town. This is a, a this is a collection of buildings. Collection of buildings. Yes, town. You know, a lot of people refer to it as camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do call it town. We have our we make our own power. So we're high, we. Uh, some of it's hydroelectric and some of it's through some solar. So that, you know, sets us apart to some degree uh, off grid. And yeah, it is a collection of old buildings. Most of them are dating back to the 1930s when a town was built uh, with some new ones, obviously, interspersed. 
I mean, it's it's amazing because it is. I I've I've spent uh, one long weekend there, and it is. It's it's a small collection, but it is. It's way out there. I mean, there's it is. There's not a paved road. You're. It's a three mile or so hike. And I remember being, it was uphill both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. But this is remote. It's remote. Yeah. We are very remote. We are, that is, that was, you know, we are at the base of this wilderness uh, area. We're an inholding within this amazing 35,000 acre watershed. Um, oft, I lived up there for a few winters and we would be walking around in the winter in the snow and, you know, there was four of us that lived up there and we would have these thoughts where we're like, we're the only four people within like... 12 probably square miles you know there's some neighbors there's some few neighbors down the road but so yeah it's a it's a remote spot boy it seems like if if nasa ever needs to find its first <laughs> collection of people to, to to colonize the moon that they yeah. should look at jawbone flats for contenders yeah you know yeah <laughs> indeed so what what are some of the so the 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 land is federally protected yes uh what are the th- Threats. Are there threats to sure. to the land? Yeah, I mean, I think we... So stewardship is the other part of really what we do besides uh, that kind of uh, working towards access for folks to come enjoy the place. Um, stewardship is another piece of what we do. So we do work. We partner with the Forest Service in terms of resource management. I would say some of the risks to the area would be that resource management from a recreation standpoint. Um, Opal Creek got on the map and a lot of folks come and visit and that's wonderful and we want folks to come and visit. Um, but sometimes trash is left behind or, you know, the the behavior isn't quite where we would love to see it in terms of respecting the resource. That's one part. Um, and I think we all saw what happened, you know, to the Bears Ears when the administration changed. And not that I, I mean, I think if somebody were to go after Opal Creek, there would be a tremendous amount of public support. But climate change is real and resources or scarcity is real and going to become more real in the coming years. And we don't know what our administration is going to look like and where their priorities are going to be. And I think the Bears years really showed for me like, oh, it can be saved, but it's not safe forever and it can be shrunk. And and th- that relationship with the federal government, that sense, I mean, are, are you on the phone once a month to DC? Like, what, what, what communications oh. do you have and, and with, with whom? How does that relationship work? Mm. Because Opal Creek, the organization, does not own the property. We own Jawbone Flats, You're, the sorry, 15 own, acres. But okay. yes, we don't own the watershed. No, the fed- federal government does. You know, we it's I've been with Opal Creek for quite a while and it's varied over time in terms of how we engaged with them. There is supposed to be an Opal Creek advisory committee that is supposed to be appointed by the Forest Service, uh, which is made up of community members and different stakeholders that are supposed to advise the Forest Service on how to manage that area. Um, Unfortunately, it has sort of fallen off in the last few years. Um, The process by which to get uh, elected is very cumbersome. So. Um, so that was one way you're, we engage. Right now, we engage more with the local management agency. We don't engage more on that bigger national level. Um, so just kind of working with the local agency to help with recreation management. Katie Ryan is executive director for Opal <clears throat> Creek Ancient Forest Center. This is the nonprofit Happy Hour and X-Ray FM. So uh, let's let's talk about some of the workshops. Yeah, that happened there. So there, it, it's um, is there a favorite? Uh, or one that you recently were part of uh, where where you saw a change in the attendees? Hmm. I mean, 
I think to really speak to that, it's more of our wilderness-based backpacking programs, whether they're two nights or seven nights. That's really where we see change uh, in terms of the kids that show up and adults. We do an adult backpacking workshop as well who don't have the skills, who get this really amazing experience out in the wilderness uh, for, you know, two, three, four, seven, whatever the trip is, days. So I think you see a lot of real change there. Um, in terms of workshops, I think my favorite that we run and we've run traditionally is probably our mushroom workshop. And it's in the fall, and I love the fall in the forest, so that's part of it. Um, and we have we just have really great experts on site. And, you know, you just – it's uh, the diversity of folks who come and join us is – wide so you get the older folks down to the young families and um what they're pulling out of the workshop is different but everybody is engaging with this really special place and learning how to collect edibles and hopefully learning a skill that they will take back with them uh um and and we're talking um morels we're talking what, yeah, what, all what sorts are out of morels chanterelles i mean hundreds of species yeah we uh we actually just worked with some students from alliance high school which is here in portland uh to and they they approached us and they had created they're creating a mushroom guidebook for the opal creek area so super cool uh, oh, that's fun. that will answer all your questions about what's up there <laughs> excellent yeah <laughs> um and 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 where else are the school kids coming from? I mean, because it's you are located, like you said, a mile east from Salem, mm-hmm. um, but but your offices, uh, administrative offices, are in Portland. Yep. Um, but it's also it's it's really just a, a hop over to Bend. Yep. So where where are students coming yeah, from? Yeah, we have students from Bend, Portland, Salem, Eugene, uh, Corvallis, Albany, um, the local area. You know. Um, Working, we're always working to engage more with the Marion County students who, who live right there. Um, but yeah, really from all over. Um, I don't think we have any from out of state currently, but yeah. And are there is there a, a, a theme or a, a profile to the students in terms of where they're coming from in terms of their conservation views? Or, or mm. There's so much talk about uh, kids these days being, being indoor kids, being attached to their yeah. screens. And and you have been in this work long enough that you've seen a generational change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How true is that? Uh, and 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 or is or is that hype? No, I mean I think there's definitely some truth to it. Uh, kids are always really nervous that they're not going to be able to access their phones and their devices while they're there. Um, they can have their phones; they just don't work, so it doesn't matter. Um, I think it is true. I think. Uh, what I see is it does depend sort of on the geographic area. It depends on the you know the parents. If their parents take them out and have instilled the conservation ethic or their grandparents or their aunts or uncles or if they have somebody in their life who has instilled that, I do think that kids show up with that. Um, and, and again, that's what we're trying to instill as well. Uh, and I think what's interesting is kids from more rural areas may engage with the forest and the landscape in a bit different way. Maybe they're hunters, maybe their family, you know, goes fishing, um, more so than kids from sometimes more urban areas. Um, but it really has to just, yeah, it has to do with what they're exposed to is what I find, you know? And, 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 um, Part of this too is, I mean, there's a summer camp uh, feeling to things. I imagine part of summer camp is always the food. So, yeah, Drawbones Flat, I assume, does not have a new seasons. Nope. <laughs> no, that would be great. Um, wh- uh, how is the food there? Who's who's producing the food? Yeah, the f- are, are people are packing all their food in. No, we do. We have a kitchen and we do provide the food, and the food's amazing. Uh, it's one of the things that we are known for uh, up there. There's great hospitable uh, food, and it's all vegetarian. Um, and so that, again, makes some kids nervous. But uh, by the end, they're usually pretty psyched. Um, and it is, you know, we try to source things locally where we can throughout 
when the growing season is uh, abundant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just have a great team of cooks and a lot of stuff made from scratch, you know, just trying to uh, keep it, yeah, really healthy, really great, great food. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back with Kate Ryan, who is executive director for Opal Creek Ancient Forest Center. Any of y'all ever been to Opal Creek? Anybody? You know where Opal Creek is? It's where we played our first wedding. It's where you did? Yeah. Very first wedding we ever played. I know that. Your first wedding? And I've never been back. (laughs) It was beautiful. Well, I wrote a banjo song and I named it that because it's one of the more beautiful places I've ever seen. And if you haven't been there, I highly recommend everybody go there. Um, This song is about a harrowing kayaking experience I had on it, so I'm sure you'll pick it up, you know what I mean?
This is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am Phil Bussey. I am joined today with Kate Ryan, who is the Executive Director for Opal Creek Ancient Forest Center, which is a, 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 a unique, amazing space uh, about 50, 60 miles east from Salem uh, and and. and a wilderness area that also happens to have an old mining camp in it that now serves as a a hub for for education and for uh, sparking interest in conservation and stewardship. Um, you lived there for three years. I find that so fascinating. Um, did you have trouble reintegrating? Absolutely. Into... <laughs> yeah. What what motivated you to want to be there for three years? Um, I think. You know, so I had moved uh, into Portland to take the job with Opal Creek, and that was a kind of big lifestyle change for me. I'd been living 10 miles outside of Bend in Skyliners Lodge, like up in the mountains, and I enjoyed that lifestyle. So moving to Portland was a big... I'd lived here before, but it was like this big, whoa, culture shock. And then, so, I, but I lived here for about a year and a half. And then my husband and I were really like, we need to get back to the mountains somehow. We're just not quite ready for this yet. Um, and so... Yeah, I just we moved up there, and I think you know having the fact that we were up there together helped it stay a little bit longer, like three years versus one or two. But um, yeah, we got settled. It was a great experience. We were snowed in a couple winters. Um, yeah, really unique experience to live in a place like that. Well, let's rewind the tape a little bit further than in 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 your life. Then, did you grow up camping? Did you grow up with the uh, pa angles on on the little house on the prairie? I mean, how did you grow up that that? You had this in you already. Yeah. Um, it's really, I grew up in upstate New York, but outside, like in the country. Um, and really what it comes down to, though, is my father and my family has a place in Quebec, Canada, on a lake. And it was the most important place to my father. And so he really instilled that in all of us. And it was, my dad was an accountant, financial guy. And so he was always really busy. It was the place we got him without any distractions. It was much like Jawbone Flats, log, you know, cabins and no electricity, no um, running water, no internet, obviously, all those things, no phone. So it was really a time for my family to come together. And I just, I spent tons and tons of time up there and um, just connected with, with that natural place um, and those wild places, wherever they may be. But what what an interesting balance, though, because your your professional life, you have to have a certain amount of public interaction. Mm -hmm. You're representing an organization, mm -hmm. um, so that that is an interesting balance in that 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 seclusion versus needing to be out in the public. Yep, it is. Yeah, and I think that all staff at Opal Creek kind of deal with some of that. Um, Jawbone Flats is a place of extremes. It can have like four people up there, or you can see. 140 people walk through in a day or something like that you know so that that exactly what you hit that's what we always we screen for in our candidates that what's that's what we're looking for when we're looking to hire for folks to live up there because you do have to like engaging with the public and for me that's my mom's side of me like she's the real out in the public kind of world so i'm a real mix of the two i guess and now you've been executive director for more than a decade mm -hmm. a decade in october we're coming up on a decade okay almost okay uh, yeah. uh, what what changes have you seen? Do you feel like you've moved the line of scrimmage, as it were, in terms of uh, stewardship by Oregonians for wild mm, spaces? Great question. Um, and hard to measure, I do, And very hard to measure. But I do. I do. Because, you know, like you said, I've seen a generation kind of come through these types of programs. So I know that they are, like, they stay in touch with with me or I see them through social media and I know that they are doing work in other 
environmental areas or or perhaps education. That's another place that that folks kind of they kind of tend to split when they leave a job like Opal Creek. Um, so, yeah, I think or that's our instructors and also our students, you know, same thing. Some of those kids that I've seen come up through our programs are working with various conservation organizations throughout the region. Um, and I just that that's anecdotal. And I just know some of those stories. Um, I think that, you know, not that this was not just Opal Creek's accomplishment, but I think on the world of outdoor education, Oregon, I mean, what Outdoor School for All was able to accomplish and the fact that kids, every kid in fifth or sixth grade gets an experience is huge. We're the first state to have that. And so I think, you know, again, Opal Creek was was not really a part of that uh, push other than supporting it. Um, but I think that's just a huge accomplishment showing that the citizens of Oregon Oregon, at least, really value this type of education and want their kids to have those experiences. I would, I would think that um, potentially one way that you could quantifiably measure whether or not uh, there is success in in stewardship uh, is through state and federal protections and mm-hmm. laws. Yeah. Um, do you feel optimistic uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 about what state state laws are doing, city laws are doing, federal laws are doing? in terms of protecting our wild spaces? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's a hard thing to say, and I wouldn't really want to comment too far on that, I think, because obviously there are decisions that are made uh, at the state level that I agree with and some that I don't agree with. Um, Wouldn't it be amazing if you agreed with them all? Wouldn't it be? But then it'd be my kingdom, and that's not how life works. So, Um, But yeah, I am am optimistic, and I think one of the biggest— risks again aside from climate change to Oregon's wild places is is people honestly and the people who are recreating in them and I think Oregon is taking steps to work with like travel Oregon's doing a good job they're they're taking steps to like educate and to work with folks and to to try to protect our natural landscapes that way more um Boy, what a paradox, though. I mean, is it is part of the reason that Oregon is so attractive is because of its its wild spaces, but part of the reason it's under threat is because we have such a population crunch. Yeah, it is a paradox. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I drove up through the like the highway waterfall tour of the gorge on Friday, but for the first time in a while, and yeah, wow, a lot of people. Katie, thank you so much for coming in and, and talking to us. And and if people want to get involved with Opal Creek, if they have uh, school age kids, or if they want to uh, just get out there, what's how do you recommend people get involved? Um, well, first take a go visit, take a hike out there and check it out. Um, and then you know we have a website, we have a Facebook page, we have Twitter, we have all those things uh, that will let you know what's happening up there and how to uh, engage more with various programs that we run or volunteer opportunities or things like that. Katie Ryan is executive director for Opal Creek Ancient Forest Center. This has been the nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Thank you for listening. This month, Opal Creek is being added to the Old Growth Forest Network. Opal Creek will be the 100th forest added to this network and the first in Oregon. There is a dedication ceremony on July 11th at the Gold Creek Bridge, about a half mile past the Opal Creek Trailhead. So go and celebrate our wild spaces. The break music in this episode was a live performance by Jack Straw of their song, Opal Creek. The nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well-being, and economic sustainability. 
If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.